Hello, friends. This is Jake J. Thomas of Jake J. Thomas Photo, bringing you another episode of the Dialogic Podcast. It's uh, Easter Sunday here in Santa Cruz. Yesterday was 420, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what I saw, what I did yesterday in the cruise. Uh, this is following up on the last episode where I started to talk about the state of Santa Cruz. I want to talk a little bit more about it. And, uh, you know, the reputation that Santa Cruz has, what what kinds of people it attracts, what kind of behavior it brings out of people. You know, I mean, the world the world is a freak show, you know, whether it's talent or size or whatever it is, that's what people are looking at. I don't think that most of the great thinkers, the the deep artists, the uh, thoughtful, intelligent, articulate voices of our era are the ones who are getting the most attention. Unfortunately, I think it's the strange, the unusual, the eccentric, the outlandish, the extreme. I think people are bored, but their boredom is a mask for terror. I think that we live on a planet whose fate is uncertain and what part we play in that is also unknown. And because of that, we're all a little bit crazy. And uh, Santa Cruz is the epicenter of weirdness and craziness for good and bad. I mean, w once you've traveled around and seen some other places, lived in other parts of the country, it tends to give you a great appreciation for Santa Cruz. And I don't know where you live, but maybe you feel the same way about your place. And maybe it's not weirdness that characterizes where you live. Maybe it's conformity. Maybe it's industriousness. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's poverty. I don't know where you live, but what is it about the place that you live that makes it its own place? Um, so I've got a dirty little secret to share with you to begin with, and that is I don't smoke cannabis and I don't eat cannabis. I don't partake in cannabis anymore. I stopped about almost uh, about 10 months ago. You know, it hasn't been that long. There have been periods in my life where I haven't, but for the most part, since I was about 13, cannabis has been a friend to me and I've used it with a great satisfaction and to great results and ends. But at a certain point, I came to the conclusion that it was also holding me back while it was giving me certain beautiful glimpses at life and feelings about life and 
appetites and experiences. The place where I felt like it was affecting me negatively was as a writer, as a communicator. I felt that it was breaking up my flow of thought and causing me to leave projects unfinished. And while I enjoyed the effect it had on me as a painter because I could paint for a few hours and then smoke and then come back and look at the painting, and it was as though it was with fresh eyes, which then allowed me to jump back into the painting and work on it from this new perspective. Looking back, I can kind of see how even that probably wasn't great. And it was probably more just about me wanting that feeling, which is a great feeling, than it was about actually helping me with the work. Because I've come to the conclusion that creativity doesn't come from drugs, and drugs, if anything, get in the way of creativity. Creativity is really a mysterious thing, but it comes from the inside. It comes from practice. It comes from work. It comes from doing the things that are creative. And cannabis is just kind of, you know, an influence, an intoxicating influence. And I painted, you know, they talk about 10,000 hours to attain mastery. And I can guarantee you I've spent more than 10,000 hours painting. I've spent more than 10,000 hours writing. I've spent more than 10,000 hours photographing. Those are the three things that I have really dedicated myself to the most. And uh, as a result, I always felt like <clears throat> cannabis was never really that big of an influence because the huge engine of my productivity just kind of would swallow up any kind of fuel in its path and just use it as a kind of part of the palette, part of the colors I was painting with or, you know, the words I was thinking about. But since I have stopped smoking, I have found greater continuity of my thought and <clears throat> overall just more energy for being creative. And that's a mysterious thing because it used to be kind of like, and I think it's also, it also has to do with being a content creator and working with creativity professionally that uh, I do it so much. There's no real separation between my normal life and my creative life. It just is all one. Whereas it used to be I was a student and then I would smoke to paint or smoke to write poetry and it kind of created this separation from my normal life and put me into this mood and mode of production that just allowed me to kind of take a step back from what I was doing and get into a groove. But uh, yeah. I stopped smoking, I stopped eating, and I don't use cannabis at all. Now, why is that a dirty secret? Because I work with cannabis brands. Now, I 
truly believe 100% that I do a better job representing these brands, photographing for these brands, creating content for these brands when I don't smoke cannabis. If I never had, that would be a long shot. I don't think I would understand the culture. I wouldn't understand why people love it, the personalities that are formed by it. I would just be an outsider to it. But because I spent, I don't know, you know, almost 30 years smoking cannabis, I didn't know it. I know it as, as well as I know anything. So I have no problem creating from that point of view. But I value my energy. I value the clarity of my thought. I value the flow of my work more than the feeling of getting high, which is a great feeling. But ultimately, to me, it started to feel a little bit selfish because I want to do other things for other people. And and I also, I just really want to, you know, separate myself from any kind of patterns of addiction. You know, the only thing I'm addicted to is coffee. And I could probably kick that if I needed to, but I feel like there's no reason to. I feel like coffee is is a friend and maybe someday I'll quit that and then I'll talk to you about how that changed things. But for now, coffee is my only vice. I also drink beer, but it's kind of a take it or leave it situation with beer for me. I love it, but definitely don't feel the need for it. Can stop drinking beer for a long period of time. No problem. But I enjoy the taste and I almost never drink more than two beers. So I don't really get the effect of it. Maybe I get a slight buzz while I'm editing some photos. But even that is very minimal. So being sober when I say I'm sober, it doesn't mean I don't drink. It just means I don't get drunk. I don't get intoxicated. And, you know, if I ever feel like there is a problem with beer, I'll stop that too. Because I don't want to have the mind of an addict. I don't want to have the characteristics of addiction. Uh, there's too too many problems and we need people who are clear-headed and able to work on solving them. I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be somebody who is actively looking for solutions and working with people to improve their lives, to build their brands, to promote their events and their products. So, yesterday was 420 though, and I did go around and see some interesting things happening in the cannabis community. And thought you might find that interesting. Uh, one of my clients is Big Pete's Treats. And I've been working with them for, I think, almost five years now. And I've seen them grow from, you know, a father-son small operation to being now the number one baked good edible in California, which is 
a huge feat. And I love these guys. These guys are my friends, my coworkers, my my allies, and you know, I want nothing but the most success for them. And I think if anybody deserves to be the number one cookie brand in the world for cannabis, it's Big Pete's Treats. Why? Because they do it for the right reasons. They do it with style. They do it with a sense of <clears throat> connection to a community. And there's just nobody else out there better. They're the best. So I'm uh, excited about their success and happy to be helping them to push forward their brand as it continues to grow and go to different places. Yesterday being 420, there were a bunch of events around Santa Cruz and I went to two of them. Uh, the first one was over here on the west side of Santa Cruz, which hasn't had a dispensary up until this month. The history of Santa Cruz is, you know, rich in the history of cannabis. And originally there were two dispensaries after Prop 215, which legalized cannabis for medicinal purposes. And they were located over by the Costco in an industrial part of town. It's also by the railroad tracks and close to the homeless shelter. So it's kind of a shady part of town. But uh, <clears throat> that's where they were allowed to be. And when I finished graduate school, that was actually the first job I got was at a dispensary. And it was one of the only two that were in town. And then then regulations changed and they started popping up all around the county, but there were always strict zoning ordinances saying where they could be and where they could not be. And up until this month, there were none on the west side of Santa Cruz. So it was a big deal to have this club open in the recreational market and the guys who put it together. It's called West Cliff Wellness, and it's a beautiful location and a really solid group of guys who are running it. And Big Pete was there handing out unmedicated samples of cookies to happy people coming out with their 420 wares. And so that was great. It's always good to see Big Pete himself you know, he's a second-generation Santa Cruzian and a surfer and a just a great guy. And uh, he's got a positive attitude, and he's, he's a great friend to people. And it was just great to see him out there as the person who started this brand in his kitchen after taking some classes at... Oaksterdam about how to make can of butter. You know, they use butter to infuse the cannabis to, to pull the THC out from the cannabis. They have infused butter in their cookies, which is an old, old, ancient tradition of making edibles. It's tried and true, and it is the best. You know, the 
cannabis industry in the past seven years or so has changed radically due to new extraction techniques, but they're very chemically oriented, uh, laboratory based and nothing that I would want to put in my body. You know, they're using butane, carbon dioxide, all these different solvents to strip the cannabinoids out of the plant. And when you see it in action, it looks like a Frankenstein laboratory. And it's amazing what they can do, all the different types of distillation or solvent extractions. But nothing beats just good old butter and ganja cooked to extract the good stuff. So after uh, seeing Pete, I headed down to Hotel Paradox, which was having a 420 celebration. And it's right next to uh, the New Kind Peoples, which is one of the premier dispensaries in town. This is now their third location. And it's on Ocean Street next to Hotel Paradox, which is next to the courthouse. And that honestly felt a little bit odd, but it also was kind of a testament to where cannabis is now in this regulated market. And uh, it's kind of amazing, you know. Hotel Paradox is a very nice, luxurious hotel, and it was kind of a classy affair. But the most interesting part of it was going to see Pete Jr., Big Pete's son, CEO of Big Pete's Treats, speak on a panel about Santa Cruz cannabis businesses. And there was a panel of four business owners talking about the challenges that they've faced and what they could use in terms of support. And... Pete really, you know, got into a groove and represented the brand beautifully and had a lot of really intelligent things to say. But the main things that are challenging, beyond challenging really, to Santa Cruz cannabis companies are the tax. There's a state tax and there's a local tax. And the local tax is 5 to 7%, which makes it very difficult for Santa Cruz businesses to compete with businesses located in other counties. Because on top of the large, hefty state tax, they have to pay the local tax, and they're not allowed to write off any marketing expenses. They're not allowed to bank. And, you know, it's like legal, but darn near impossible. And yet, they found a way to do it. And they they took on investors and they're operating their business now all over California. They're the number one baked goods in California. And uh, it's amazing to see what they've done. But it's also a strange time for cannabis. And I think that Pete kind of summed up where it's at pretty pretty beautifully when he when he said that 
the way things are regulated now has kind of made it impossible for the small guy, for the small batch company. And instead, what is happening now is it's kind of a mad scramble to see who's going to be the Budweiser of cannabis, who are going to be the big brands of cannabis. And maybe in 10 years after the dust settles and regulation evolves, then small artisanal high-end products will emerge similar to how it's happened in the beer industry with craft beer. And uh, that's all going to be possible only with a change in the tax code. Right now, the taxes make it impossible for people to do small batches. You have to test your product. You get taxed on your product. And there's almost no room for profit. But so that it was an interesting talk and it's really kind of wild to see where cannabis has come from, you know, this sort of used to have to go drive up some sketchy driveway and, uh, wait for your friend who knew the guy to go in and get the eighth and then come out and everyone was afraid you're all going to go to jail over this really not that dangerous plant. I mean, the worst thing that's going to happen to you if you get too stoned is you're going to eat more than you had planned to and fall asleep before you thought. But now you can walk into this luxurious hotel a block away from the county courthouse and see all of the brands representing their products. So it's an amazing time in cannabis. It's a sad time in cannabis for the small farmer, for the uh, artisanal batch. And it's, you know, it's an aggressive time for brands to try to grow and there's going to be a few big winners and a lot of losers, and that is unfortunate. But it is the way it is right now. And so anyways, that's just my update on Santa Cruz Cannabis and 420 Celebrations yesterday. Um, and, you know, when I say it's a dirty little secret that I don't smoke cannabis... That's kind of a joke. It's a jest. It's like when somebody in a job interview asks you, what's the, what would you say is the worst thing about yourself? And you say, people have told me that I'm just a, I'm too hard of a worker. <clears throat> you know, it's like telling them what you want to hear. So I'm joking. Not smoking cannabis is not something I'm ashamed of. It's something that I chose to do. And, you know, it works for me. And you know, smoking cannabis works for other people and, you know, all the power to them. But one of the things I wanted to think about and talk to you about today is this idea that I've been kind of playing around with that I got from Robert Greene's idea of, or his book called The Laws of Human Nature. Really fascinating book. And while I don't, necessarily agree with the premise that there is such a thing as human nature because I think you know there that's a construct that's a social construct is something that we've come to see as natural but it's really 
invented by us. But nonetheless, you know, you can't deny some of the ideas and the psychological traits and habits that humans have. And there's a, there's a consistency to those. But the book goes into, you know, some of the, basically the shadow of the human experience, the dark side of what it means to be human and how, you know, many of us try to portray ourselves as positive people, as people who are trustworthy, and yet we have these shadow sides. And how do you how do you come to terms with that? How do you not let that become something out of control? How do you use it to your advantage? How do you use it to help other people? You know, and he's got all of these different case studies of people who fell victim to, you know, being a narcissist, to envy, to all of these different shadow traits of the human experience. And so that's what I've been thinking about is, you know, how do you own your shadow? How do you, how are you realistic about what is dark about you? And how do you use it in a productive way? So for example, narcissism is obviously a negative trait in many ways, but as an artist, it's kind of almost a prerequisite. And it's through this rigorous exploration of the self that you're able to share with other people in a way that maybe helps them to understand something about the human character. Maybe it helps them to reflect on their own experience and surely there's something valuable in that. And uh, I'm doing a lot of writing, I'm doing a lot of thinking, I'm doing a lot of researching and I'm getting ready to move in some new directions. But uh, writing is probably the most important component to that because I've been so involved in photography during the past six years, uh, running my business, doing content creation to help promote brands. And while I have been writing a lot during that time, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages of notes and thoughts and ideas and just automatic writing, I am going to be stepping it up here in these next few months, in this next year, because writing has always been a very powerful medium of expression for me, and also just a, a sort of tool for mental fitness. You know, we talk about mental health, and I think mental fitness is also a good way to think about it. You know, it's not like you just are what you are. You know, you can train yourself to become better just in the same way that you have your physical health and you're, you're either sick or you're not. But you're also, you have a very, very wide range of potential from if you never exercise and you drink a lot and you eat sugary foods and you know, you have low energy and your cardio rate is not very good and your muscle tone is lacking 
to if you work out every day and you eat good foods, lots of vegetables, you hydrate effectively, um, the difference between you at your most fit and you at your least fit is tremendous. It's almost like two different people. And the same thing holds true for mental fitness, I would argue. That if you do something like write automatically every day, if you read, if you research, if you exercise your mind, you can achieve not only a lack of mental illness, you can resolve your mental illnesses and be healthy, be fit and sound of mind, but you can also increase the strength of your mental faculties. You can become more articulate. You can become more clear in your thinking. You know, I've always thought that we have this running inner dialogue and by exercising your voice, you improve all of your experiences because everything you do is shaped by this interior monologue that's constantly playing out. And when you have control of that, when you're using your thoughts effectively, how much better all of your experiences become. I used to have this exercise I would do, which I'm going to try to take up again soon. I just need to block out some time to do it. And I would call it going to Europe. And this was when I was a graduate student and I didn't have the money to travel to Europe. What I would do was I would spend one whole day writing and I would write for maybe 10 to 12 hours nonstop. I mean, I would stop to make coffee. I would stop to, basically, that was it. But I, I was also smoking cannabis. I was also smoking cannabis at that time. So I would smoke, go back to writing, make some coffee, go back to writing. But what would happen is I would just write for 10 hours, which sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. But what would happen is when I finished those 10 hours of just automatic writing, whatever came to my mind, I just would put it down. I would type it out. And when I would finish, I would leave my house and the world around me would seem so new because my mind was so stimulated that it felt like I was in Europe. And the quality of the colors, the depth of the shadows, the feel of the breeze, the smell of cooking coming from the neighbor's house, the sound of the ocean half a mile away crashing against the reef. All of these things would reach me in this new and rich way. And it was better than any drug you could ever take. So... That's coming up. I'm going to be doing a going to Europe writing experience. And uh, when I do that, I will podcast afterwards and share with you how it feels and what I achieved and what thoughts I come up with. And, you know, in addition to the sort of alchemical effect of being now in this different frame of mind, this heightened 
experience, you also figure out a lot of stuff, you know, maybe for the first hour, you're kind of just venting, you're kind of just clearing the room of things that have been bothering you. And then but by the time you get to hour three, hour four, you're really figuring some things out. By the time you get to hour seven or eight, hour nine, by the time you finish hour 10, you have a very clear sense of exactly what you think. You have no confusions about anything. And it's such a great feeling. And I don't know who else does that, if anybody, but I'm going to do it soon and I will share my experience with you. So that's it for today from Santa Cruz on a sunny Sunday. This is Jake J. Thomas of Jake J. Thomas Photo on Instagram. Please leave me any comments, any ideas, any questions you may have there. And uh, till next time, this has been another episode of the Dialogic Podcast. Peace.